Uh, doing the first live stream since we got back from CSM last week and uh, <sighs> decompressing. It takes a lot to do CSM. And if you've never been, uh, it's like 18 different circuses going on all at the exact same time. So it's fun. Um, jumping on with Tony Maritato and Dave Kittle like we do every single Thursday. Live stream on our YouTube channel. You can subscribe to that as well to watch. And throw some questions out, which is fun. We do like answering questions live. It's like we do talk radio. And then we share it via the podcast and you get to take a listen to it. Uh, so we're going to jump in with some really, really, really great questions. Some things that we've been seeing on LinkedIn. People asking questions and making statements and getting kind of both sides of the opinion line fired up. One of those things that we didn't talk about today but have on a past live stream is remote therapeutic monitoring. I don't think our profession has wrapped our head around it a lot. I think the people that have fully understand it and understand that its capabilities uh, extend your hands, your eyes, and your minds. So you could boost your clinic's revenue by 280 bucks per patient per quarter with Physiotech's remote therapeutic monitoring, enhanced patient outcomes, ease provider workload, and turbocharger earnings. Figure out what this thing is at physiotech.ca. That's physiotech.ca. Also, uh, what are you using? What are the hammers and screwdrivers and, and saws that you're using in your practice? The, the one you've got to use the most is probably your EMR, right? Revolutionize your practice with MW Therapy's all-in-one outpatient PT EMR. Experience seamless integration of patient portals, marketing automations, and billing features, all at the value your clinic deserves. Plus, switching over is a breeze at mwtherapy.com. And finally, where's your PT career going? Where's it taking you? Embark on an extraordinary patient care adventure with jacksontherapy.com. Perfect for physical therapists eager to make their mark. Discover where your skills can take you at jacksontherapy.com. Uh, we talked about, well, which one is this? I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can, uh, you, can, you can drop us a direct message because I think people are polarized. Which is the better clinic business model? Brick and mortar or remote or non-brick and mortar or to you or concierge however you want to call it uh dave weighs in because he runs a concierge practice that is remote and tony weighs in because he has run and is running brick and mortar practices so figure out the pros and cons and i get to sort of jump in and be uh the uh, the referee and and give a split decision to which one i think is best spoiler alert the one that's best is the one that's right for you so uh, take a listen as we live stream with Breakfast Club PT that we do every Thursday on YouTube. Love the PT Pinecast? Yes. Yes. Support the show by telling a friend or by leaving a review on iTunes. All right. Good morning. It is Breakfast PT Club. Breakfast Club PT. I put the PT in the middle for some reason. I say it normally, and then the camera comes on, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Uh, good Thursday morning to you, Tony Maritato. Dave Kittle will be joining us in a, in a, in a moment. What's up, Jimmy? How? So first thing, right out of the gate, what was your impression of CSM? How was Boston? Kind of. Yeah. What are the big takeaways? Let's see. Big takeaways. Uh, CSM is huge. It's always great because uh, typically it's you get to watch thousands of students do their first CSM. And oh. I think they're prepared for it, but never really prepared for it. And they're just like drinking it in. Content, rubbing elbows, seeing other people. So I think that 
myself because i can only really speak fully from my the way i looked at it it was like you're constantly around 38 of the same pt students classmates and then all of a sudden you get to csm and it's all these people who know things that you don't know and they bring things up and you're like i want to know about that you see a presentation you're like i didn't even know that topic existed What's animal physical therapy? That's a thing or what? So your mind goes in 10,000 directions. So it's really cool to watch students do that. Um, key takeaways. I, I did something that was, that had growth in years past. I would run around with my microphones and my mixing boards and my headphones, and I would run to people and do interviews and I'd pack all my stuff up in my little case and I'd run across the conference floor and I'd, uh, I'd go meet someone else and then morning, Dave. And then I would set up again and I was essentially just the roving reporter. And I was like, I'm going to stand still this time. And that saved me time, effort, mental clarity. So that's what I did. So ATI let me hang out in their booth uh, and stand still. It was a good, is a good spot right at the front of the expo hall. Um, and I think they liked it because they were like, oh, people like to listen or see who these people are. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I talk to super smart people. I get to hold the microphone. Um, and when someone was like, um, you know, is there actually enough attention like for a podcast? I'm like in PT and I'm like, look around the expo hall. These people are here for like pens. They're here for stuff they don't even know about. Like they're here right. to see stuff that they don't even know. They show up in droves. So I think the final tally was 16,000 attendees at CSM, which is lower than a couple of years past. I think the highest ever was Denver, March 2020 at 20,000. But February in Boston, I think 16,000 is not a bad turnout for that one. Um, prevailing topics, I know this is going to shock you guys, artificial intelligence, technology, integrations, how do you use things to make you uh, become smarter? And then of course, not to bag on people, but there were presentations that looked like they were recycled from nine years ago. We're talking about stuff from the knee 15 years ago, but like maybe it's the first time you heard this one. So that's cool. Um, but I'd say that the bleed two years ago, it was self uh, a year ago or two years ago. It was self um, care, burnout, mental mind mindfulness. And I'm glad to see that that prevailing conversation is still going on. But right now it's technology and artificial intelligence. And people are buzzing about that. Karen says, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Hey, Karen. You know, I can't believe I didn't see more live from CSM video content. Correct. Yeah. It's just shocking to me. Like after this show, I'm interviewing a videographer. He's not healthcare related, but I he's local. I wanted to get him on, do a podcast with him, see what he thinks about things uh, media wise. Yeah. And I'm like, every single human at that event had a phone with a camera, had access to live. Why was I not seeing just I know the answer. everything? Well, the answer is uh, our own psychology. Yeah. I think people like to take the picture and post it later. I don't know. The only reason I didn't, and I will go on record now, February 22nd, I'm not recording videos and podcasts from CSM next year. I'm going to go live. I don't, I don't think there's a reason to do it. The only reason I didn't do it this year was internet connections in the expo hall are, are spotty. True. That is the only reason I did not do that. But nothing says, what if I hire a couple interns and I just, I do it live to tape where I record at 10 o'clock and then I go run across the hall to the, run across the road to the hotel, get them a laptop, put it up and boom and, 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 and blast it out. So, um, 
yes to everything you're saying. The only reason I didn't do it and I had the technology available was spotty internet service in the um, uh, expo center. Because it's a big, just it's a big warehouse, a big metal warehouse. Yeah. But I need to bring me like a jetpack or a hot spot or whatever they call these things. Dave, good morning. What are your thoughts? Morning. I, I did see one or two or several of Jimmy's posts where he was, you know, kind of posted up in like a what do you call like those like portable, you know, like those like cocktail tables, basically. Yeah, I had pub uh, tables. My question is so random. How as you're speaking with someone, there's like there's lights and all that. How many people? Because I would do this, even though you and I haven't met in person. How many people just walked up and like said hey or what, while you're like speaking and interviewing, like zero, or was it like while I'm actually recording? Yeah. Well, the lights are on. I've got headphones on. It's very obvious that we're doing a thing. And we sort of set it up on the corner of ATI's booth. So it was like a little broadcast studio. So while I was actually recording, none. But I was. I, I do make eye contact with people uh, while they're like, I'm going to stick around because I'm like, got it. That person wants to talk. Um, but the cool part is right now we're streaming live at Thursday morning, right? As soon as I'm done, just as you guys will, take the audio, send it out via the podcast, right? People listen to us. I know that because we can look at views or downloads or whatever, listens. And the coolest part is when someone comes up and is like, I listen to your stuff and I really like it. And there's the human component because like download numbers are cool. That's an objective measure. But when someone said, I had someone pull me aside and give me, I won't say who she is because she gave me a really cool backstory. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forget. Like that number is not just a total and a tally on a, on a, on a view sheet. It's people. And it's so cool because again, oh yeah, I don't know if I called, told you guys this. I, I, I posted about it. My podcast hit 5 million downloads, which is kind of cool, which is wild. Oh, started right. this as a student. This was a goof. But those are 5 million people. Like those are downloads and those are phones and computers, but those are people. I think the biggest nod is 5 million physical therapists were curious enough about 1,200 or 1,300 topics to spend their time. Because I think my average episode length is like 30 or 42 minutes or something like that and with data because again data artificial intelligence our listen rate is above 90 percent, which means if someone pushes play 90 percent of them get to the 75 percent mark of however long that episode is if the episode's 10 minutes they get to the seven and a half minute mark if the episode's an hour they get to the 45 minute mark i think that shows to me how curious and how many things there are to continually learn in this profession, which is cool. So anyway, seeing some of those people in person was awesome. Have either of you guys ever heard of the dead internet theory? No. What is that? Okay. Mean? So this is going to lead into people watching this on Dave's channel, Jimmy's channel. You have to subscribe, subscribe so that we know there is a um, real human watching. Um, I looked it up. I heard this on a YouTube interview recently. Basically, there's this thing. It's called the dead internet theory. Google it. It's on Wikipedia. And it's a conspiracy theory that says most of the internet traffic is all fake. It's all bots. There's no actual mm -hmm. humans hardly ever looking at things on the internet. I know it's not true. <laughs> I, I consume internet content constantly. But if you guys watching want us to know you're live, you're real, you're human, post a comment, subscribe to any of the channels. We need to know, is the internet still live and kicking? Yeah, I, 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 I agree though. Like I think most of the time when someone comes up, I'm like been listening to your show for years, been listening to your show since I was a student. And I'm like, I've never seen your name pop up in a direct yeah. message or comment or a like. I'm the same way though. I listen to like Smartless or NPR. I'm not dropping the DMs being like, great job right. guys. 
but I'm consuming. It's called an asymmetric relationship. It's like someone just listens, sort of lurks. I do that too. But I'll tell you, and I, and I said this pre-CSM, and this goes for CSM presentations. If you had, if you were like, that's a really great presentation, tell a friend, tell the, tell the presenter. Because that's a positive reinforcement to like, that content was good or how you delivered it was great. And two or three comments is actually a lot. I know we get caught up with like, look at Kim Kardashian's Instagram and she's got 45 million likes and stuff like that. That's cool. A lot of those are probably bots though. You know, right? Like I'm not saying 45 million people, but like two or three real genuine comments is a big deal. I, I in, in my opinion, so say that. So Karen's here. She can't be the only one here. <laughs> That's just like in the clinic. I always say like I could kill myself for 90 patients. I just need one. one. I just need one patient to tell me that was amazing. You've changed my life. You've had a major impact on my decisions into the future. Yeah. It's golf, man. I play golf and I swing the golf club, you know, 80, probably 180 times. I need one shot, man. I need a, a nine iron from 78 yards out to hit the green within five feet. I'm like, I am the greatest golfer alive. We are big, dumb animals. We focus more on the negative. I did an episode recently with a psychologist, my buddy Jamie, and the topic was doom scrolling. And he said something so profound. I said, Jamie, why do we keep scrolling if like, we're not getting what we want? And he said, uh, we're looking for positivity, but we'd rather negativity than uncertainty. So we're uncertain. So we keep looking and we keep finding and the algorithms are like, my job is to keep you here longer. So I'll, if I give you the negativity that I'm not giving you the certainty, uh, you'll keep going. So I think if you see a comment from someone, it's a big deal. Awesome. So Dave, you had some great ideas for topics today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, go, let me go ahead and read it off if you have it in front of you. I am. I'm looking. Well, one of the things we talked about is should we start a new uh, new practice? Uh, what is this? Should new practice owners have a business plan? Actually, I got a question from somebody the other day. They said, hey, I'm just getting started. I'm struggling. I can't get the business off the ground. I would love to send you a copy of my business plan if you have the time. What do you think? What do you guys say about business plans? Uh, I mean, I didn't start initial with a business plan. I didn't start concierge payment with a business plan. Um, I mean, you, Bless you you figure out a ton as you go. Um, I, I also think like you have to have some chops. You have to have some understanding of whatever business you're going into. Yeah. Um, you have to also be dogged, uh, persistent, maybe even obsessive. Those are the things that kind of take you through. And then over time, you kind of piece it together. You kind of see what's working and all that. But even though they're like, you know, business school will say, you know, business plan, formal approach and do all this thinking and planning and all that. But then you don't really know until you're actually, you know, treating patients, billing insurance or charging out of pocket or whatever, uh, getting feedback that, you know, Tony was just saying, like, you know, patients giving you remarks and reviews or comments or uh, things like that. And so, um, yeah, it's it sounds great and it makes a lot of sense. But like, realistically, a lot of people do not start with a business plan. Jamie, I'm sure I'm sure you had a business plan before you started PT Pinecast. I'm gonna someone said it better. I love quotes, man. And I actually know who said this one. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> like Tyson. So, yeah. so all right. So let's let's define though. Like a business plan, like if you ask an MBA or a professor, it's like a robust 20 page. You could download a template right now or a million templates. 
I think you should have some ideas on basic questions. I think if you answer seven questions, and I'm gonna do a, I'm doing a live stream today. I'm pulling my best Taylor Swift move. I, you had to pay to come to CSM to hear me speak last week. I'm gonna do the whole presentation as a live stream in just like two hours. You have to answer seven questions. Who are you serving? Right? What are their problems? What do you bring to the table? Where are those two things, their problems and your solution cross? That's your why. How are you going to deliver it? Where are you delivering it? When are you delivering it? If you could, that to me, do you need a plan? I, you need the first couple steps, right? Someone said, you don't need to see the whole staircase. I think it was, uh, I forget who said this one. You don't need to see the whole staircase, just, just the next step. And like, like Dave said, like I've never treated patients before. I've never worked in a clinic. Like, I don't, uh, I don't know. All right. Well, I'm not going to say no, because we all hear these success stories of people who had no experience and tried it. I think the, the other thing is, do you give a shit? Right. So like, if you really care, if this is the thing, you will find ways around, you will find answers and you'll be able to pull yourself out of bed when everything goes sideways, because it will multiple Amen. times. Amen. It, it will. I, you know, like, you know, the, my favorite eighties TV show was a team man. And Hannibal was the leader. And he always, his line was with a big cigar. And I love it when a plan comes together, but even a team was like, we're going to do this. And then something always kind of went sideways. And one of the guys figured it out. So do you need a plan? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I probably have a hundred started business plans from 2000, 2001, just because I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go into business. I need a plan. And I would go on public filings for publicly traded companies, look at their perspectives and try to pull a business plan from that. I would try to do all these things. I never got through a single one, but you know, it's interesting. So last night I'm teaching my Medicare billing course and we're talking about evaluations. We're talking about Medicare required documentation. And Medicare says in their guidelines, CMS chapter 15, what the requirements are, it's way less than anybody thinks the actual requirements are for a compliant evaluation, but they give you room and they say you can use a supporting document. And what I tell my people that are taking this course, is I'm like, look, I've been a PT a long time. I've never met a human that in 60 minutes, 90 minutes, 120 minutes, I could actually fully evaluate, fully collect all the information I need, really understand this person's insecurities, anxieties, passions, fears. So I'm like, it takes three or four sessions just to break through the initial walls. And Medicare says you can use this supporting document. So my evaluation gets done on day one in five minutes. But I add to it, I change it, I modify it over the next several sessions until I really start to understand what this person needs. My business is no different. I start my business with an idea. I get a general guideline of this is who I want to serve. This is the problem I'm serving. This is the value of the market. And then it changes. I don't yes. know any business, big or small, that is doing the same thing a year, three years, five years later that they did when they started. So you need that flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. It changes too. I mean, I added consulting to my life, which is also, I don't like that word. I like, like idea giving, right? Cause consulting just sounds like I sit in a tie, but it was like, I did a thing for long enough in radio, then came to PT with podcasting. And then I was like, Oh, and it's where you get to look like a genius. You talk to organizations, you're like, let me take a guess. You have this problem. They're like, yes, I do have that problem. You're like, and then this happens. And they're like, oh, that does happen. And then you spend a lot of money and you get this result. Like, oh my God. It's like, are you in my emails? Solution, right? Right. And I'm like, okay. And so 
you know, I don't sell prepackaged solutions, but I'm going to use basic. I'm going to use the basic tools to get there. But I didn't see this coming. This was not in my business plan. My business plan was, my business plan was get to six, the sixth episode, and now I'm at. I don't know. I stopped counting. 1,200, 1,300 episodes. Wow. Um, so yeah. So I think I I think you should think this out. I think people probably so why do you think you started so many business plans but never finished them? Is it just like is it verbally is it verbalizing your ideas so you like using that as a mirror maybe? I mean I I think I've done that too where I'm like I'm going to do this and here's the logo and here's the colors and here's my first 90 days. I think for me it's just cuz I know it's a waste of time. I know it's an excuse to to feel busy but not actually accomplish anything. And so as I get into it, it gets grainier and grainier. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm like, why am I even doing this? I need to make a dollar. Let me right. go do something that puts a dollar in my bank account that has more practical application. Yeah. Go make a dollar. Or if you're in media, get 10 people to watch something or 10 people to listen to something. And then if you're lucky enough, like we have people watching right now, ask why you, what did you expect? Did you get that? And, and what did you expect? What did you get? And what, how could I, how could I close that gap? And then I would give a bit of advice for people too. Don't chase what everybody tells you they're looking for. So I've done that before where I'm like, I can solve every one of your problems. And then I'm so far away from what I like to do and I'm good at that I'm like, I hate doing this. That's how I think people get stuck in jobs. They're like, well, it's money. And I'm like, it is money, but you don't like it. And didn't you start this own business on yourself to do stuff you're like, you like and are good at? Have we I'd talked be curious throwing it back over to Dave, yeah. looking at acquisitions, looking at mm -hmm. a potential, you know, clinic or business you want to buy. If they don't have a business plan, like I don't have a business plan, what are your thoughts? Oh, uh, it's no big deal. Um, yeah. Really, like I was going to chime in earlier about business plans with, uh, let's say, uh, Jimmy and I wanted to buy Tony's practice, right? And we, let's say, we yes. want to go, let's we, do we it. Wanna go, we want to go get financing, right? So we want to get like a, a Seven uh, SBA 7A loan program or commercial debt, uh, or if we want to have uh, private in investors, anyone watching the show, like I'm saying hypothetically, um, <laughs> we have to have a business plan for either the bank, the, the SBA program, uh, or investors. We have to have a business program to kind of, it kind of just vets us. It kind of lets the other party know like how we think and like what uh, Jimmy was saying, like, we understand the ideal customer and client and patient. Uh, we understand like all the nuances of like what can potentially happen. Uh, what are, what's the likelihood of us succeeding in that market or whatever, whatever. So the business plans are are more historically more for investors or some financial institution. Uh, but if you're starting like a practice on your own, like it is literally not required. It just it helps with like understanding where you're going. It's like a little bit of a roadmap, but again, that's going to change so much as you go. So that's why it's I mean, more for the investor side. Just go to AI right now and be like, pretend you're going to be the loan officer at a bank and I'm starting a, a, a company. What questions would a loan officer ask in terms of business plan? Go back and forth and then go, great, right, sum that up and write it up. Do you think anybody reads it or are they just looking, did you check that hurdle? Uh, yeah, I mean, you when you submit, you know, for... Uh, loan documents and things like that, like there's a lot of things that they request and it's really to check off boxes so that I mean. if they ever get audited or if someone above them at the bank or the financial institution audits, um, their ability to verify if you were a qualified uh, right. individual or, or, or company to get that loan, they need to have certain things checked off um, with their like due diligence package or whatever. Cover their ass. Let's cover their ass. Yeah.
Yeah. So talking about Jimmy chat GPT, I remember doing this. I was just looking for the article I wrote, um, for anybody who wants to do this, just so you have it done. What I would do is I would prompt GPT or, uh, Gemini or whatever you're using. I would say, Hey, I need a business plan for a private practice, physical therapy clinic. I, I would get GPT to create an outline for the business plan based on accepted standards. And then I would say, ask me questions allow me to answer those questions and then put that into a written business plan. Like now for me, because I rather talk and instead of type, what I do is I use a uh, like dictation service or I'll open a Google doc and I'll have it record my voice, turn it into text. And that's how I'll create the business plan. But smarter, not harder people, smarter, not harder. So guys, changing directions, I saw a post on LinkedIn this morning that plays into something else that Dave was talking about. It was from life. No, not lifetime. We talked about that already. It was from anytime fitness. You um, guys remember anytime fitness 24 hours. Yeah. 24 hour access. You, you can get in anytime. I think they really, really struggled when the pandemic happened and they were just every anytime fitness was for sale after that. Um, but I saw a great post and they were saying, Hey, physical therapist, basically we want to partner with you. This is not a job. We're not employing you. We want to bring physical therapy, physical therapists into our locations. And so Dave was asking, what are the pros and cons of a brick and mortar clinic versus a mobile practice? Um, and I was just thinking, yeah. say it again. What, what you're proposing is the best of both worlds. Here we go. Right. 100%. And, and they're actively looking for you. You know, it's one thing for, I know a lot of mobile therapists who are like, I'm going to go approach this gym. I'm going to go approach this CrossFit box Pilates studio. Yeah. But you're, if you're approaching them, you're at a deficiency already. If they're coming to you, like this is a broad announcement. Hey, we want to bring physical therapists in Dave, you're mobile. You don't have a location in your mind. What are the pros of being mobile? Uh, the pros for us, flexibility, um, we don't have to have the overhead of rent or large equipment or the liability insurance for the brick and mortar office, the fixed hours, the fixed locations that um, someone, if someone wants to work with us and they would potentially say, oh, you're too far away that, or I can't get there or whatever. Um, those are the pros that benefit us in terms of our ability to reach a lot of folks in the community in, in different locations. What about cons? Uh, the, the cons of the brick and mortar? No, of being mobile. Oh, the cons of mobile. Um, well, between patients, you know, yeah, you can do some documentation or notes, um, but it would be what Tony would probably call like basically like inefficient time um, mm -hmm. where you can't really, you know, produce uh, income, right? Um, unless you're doing some, you know, marketing mm -hmm. something, marketing plan, you know, you're, you're editing your Facebook ads between patients or something, um, you know, in terms of marketing efforts. Uh, yes, there's a cap in terms of like, like my therapist, we do one-on-one -on -one visits and they're seeing like four to six patients a day versus Tony, um, you know, his therapist or any brick and mortar therapist can, can like much easier see 10, 12, 15, then obviously it depends on the business model past that. But like you could see arguably twice the amount of patients per day, that would be the biggest con in terms of, um, being efficient as a therapist, like under the compliance rule and all that. 
Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll give you my pros and cons for brick and mortar. And then Jimmy, you can give us the tiebreakers. Right. So, so like you said, I mean, pro from a brick and mortar clinic, like I've done mobile, I've been in that world for a little while, but I can have, I can have 20 people in my clinic. I can do single unit sessions. I have ultimate flexibility. I can not even bill for a person on a particular day if they show up and I'm like, you know what? Today is not a good day. Let's just take it easy. Let's just talk. I, 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 it's not taking me out of, you know, anything else. Um, I've got equity that I'm building if I own the facility, obviously, and, and I do own several buildings. Uh, there's just so much more that I could bring to my patient care experience, to my business, to my growth. The cons, like you said, I mean, there's always liability. I've got people in and out of my clinic. I've never had a slip and fall case, but it could certainly happen. There's issues with maintenance. I'm the one I'm going in later today because my water heater isn't working right. I need to figure out what's going on. I'm not a plumber, but I watched one on YouTube. Um, so, you know, we have the expense, we have the liability. If rates go up, my mortgage gets more expensive, all of these other things that are going on. But I think in reality, what it comes down to is your personality. What is it that you want? I have talked to mobile therapists and I'm genuinely shocked and blown away when they tell me this, but it's their prerogative. They're like, no, I love the 30 minute drive between patients. It gives me a chance to decompress. It gives me a chance to listen to music and relax and spend time in the car. That's something that they perceive as value add where with me, it would be like nails on a chalk chalkboard. I would go crazy if I had to wait 30 minutes in a car, I would hire a driver just <laughs> to drive me around. I would buy one of those sprinter vans so that I could do documentation, record videos in the back. If I was a mobile therapist, I would also make sure I had a small demographic, small geography that I was seeing everybody in the neighborhood. Um, I always think of mobile PT like the guys that mow the lawns. I would go to my first client and I would try to get six or seven clients in the same building on the same block, um, do everything I could to, to just pack it all in. But that's my personality. That's my mentality. I want, I want a clinic full of 20 people, even if I'm billing for one of them, because I want the community, I want the engagement, I want the, the fun and the, the energy of that. Yeah. So Jimmy, what do you think? Yeah, it depends, right? It's where I get to play it safe and be in the middle. Oh, you got to pick one. Come on. <laughs> so cost. Well, I mean, it also depends on where you were, all right? Like, so like Dave's in New York City and Tony's in Ohio. And I worked, I used to work for Fox Rehabilitation. When people ask me what that was, I'm like, it's Uber for geriatric PT uh, for grandma. It's like those individuals they were treating were never getting to a, to a clinic. They were so deconditioned or they didn't have a ride. There were so many barriers. They were like, those people are never getting seen. That's a problem. That's also an opportunity. So they were like, let's find therapists who are not like Tony, who are like Dave, to do those things. And they love those things, right? Then you can also get smart with AI and make sure, does the math math? Um, and also, you know, with what Tony's talking about, you can do, you have you have flexibility. People look at people look at brick and mortar with lacking of flexibility, but you can do a lot of different things. Um, in a location, as Tony's talking about, group classes, or you know, you can do subscription models. If you're in New York City, I mean, how many times is there, uh, you know, a Wall Street guy in his building who's like, I'm not leaving this building because I make X amount of dollars, but I'll go downstairs to the gym, and you and I will do one on one. You, you, that person values that more. 
if you like doing that, you can get paid more for that to offset the cost of you driving or taking a subway or whatever from thing to thing. So I think it depends on what you like doing. Which would I like? Um, I'd, I mean, how cool would it be to have a brick and mortar or partner with an anytime fitness and then be able to do both? Be like, yeah, man, I'm like the fire. I'm the fire department. You got a problem. You come right to the firehouse or I go out to you. I'll interject one more thing because we got to nail down. Jimmy's got to make a decision. <clears throat> the money I, the money that Tony spends, <clears throat> even though he owns his real estate, but if he didn't own the office, <clears throat> the money that he spends or that most brick and mortar practices spend on the lease agreement per year, wherever they are, right. I probably spend that on marketing. So arguably, which one's a better investment? Now, I know there's a lot of physical, there's a lot of patients that are Googling like physical therapy near me. And most people have it in their mind that they need to go to an office. So that goes against me. That actually benefits any brick and mortar practice owner. If you look at the, even my Google, uh, Google My Business account, there'll be like X amount of people every month clicking the directions, like where, like the location and the directions to my, you know, PO boxes that I have, like my virtual mailbox that I have on Google Maps. Right. So that benefits Tony and every brick and mortar office. Right. However, my side, I want to argue whatever someone spends like two grand a month or whatever their rent is, I'm definitely spending that or more on the marketing. So in terms of us being able to reach more people over so many more zip codes than a brick and mortar will usually service. And I'm spending that same or more that dollar amount on a, on a revenue generating thing, which is Google ads and new patient marketing, as opposed to the brick and mortar offices where they have to pay that right. for the rent and then allocate another dollar amount potentially for online marketing. Yeah. Now I will say, I will say, because you guys know, I don't do Google ads. I don't do Facebook ads. I do all direct to physician marketing. Um, and I don't even have to do that anymore. My brick and mortar building is a full-time 24 hours a day, seven day a week billboard that people are driving by. I do choose good locations, but people are driving by and seeing that constantly. I look at part of my rent as a marketing expense because I choose a location that's high traffic, high visibility. The other part that I always do, and I run the numbers for my, my people that take my Medicare billing courses, Look, think about 15 minute commute time. And I think 15 minute commute time between sessions is reasonable. When you look at the amount of lost revenue between 15 minute commute time between each session on a five day a week basis, that more than exceeds anything you would spend on rent, utilities, other overhead operating expenses. I've honestly seen it be about the same from a cost perspective on what it costs to run a mobile business compared to what it costs to run a brick and mortar. Yes, it's true. You don't sign a three-year lease when you're doing mobile, but truthfully, not to offend, and I don't think I will, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody start a physical therapy business and go out of business. Huh. Um, even if they're not making as much money as they want, even if they pivot, going back to what we talked about earlier, they might start thinking, I want to do this and turn out doing that but they've generally always been pretty successful. I mean, we're in a high demand, high need occupation. There's people who need our services. It'd be pretty funny, Dave, if you could run an ad or figure out how to do it, where if I clicked on directions, it was at their house. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like how cool would that be? It's like, how do I get to, how do I get to where Dave treats? It's like, He's in the call is coming from within. <laughs> he's in the building. He's, in, he's he already is, he is in my building. Knock, knock, knock. Dave's at the door. Oh, I, I wish, I wish because on Google Maps, 
you click on, you know, you find some, you know, like total therapy solutions or concierge pain relief, whatever you click on it. And, and people just hit that. It's usually highlighted in blue with white font, like directions. So they click that and it's going to take the individual to the address of, of whatever pin the therapy practice. Yeah. So I want, I, I want I to, I want to where they are and where you are to be the same. Just <laughs> yeah. Like, They'll be like, what does that mean? It's like, we're, we come to you, right? Any hacker, any hacker, reach out to me. Let's see if we can do it right. legally. So I think, you know, and this is going to be like, it's pretty much whatever you like to do. But if I had to pick one, I think you can do, you could do mobile with a brick and mortar, but you couldn't do brick and mortar if you were just mobile. So Tony could be like Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm not in the office. I'm, I'm coming to you. You couldn't do that the other way. That's a good point. But there also are ways like, you know, people in New York City are like, uh, I don't have a clinic, but I'm going to come to your office. And there's a gym in every office building. And there's a, pretty much a gym in every single, you know, residence or walk up, you know. Um, so I would say, um, I guess brick and mortar to start, but also, I don't know, but who the hell I run a podcast from my kitchen, uh, start a podcast, everybody. It's what everybody else is doing. I would say mobile to start with, yeah, if you have that desire, you move into brick and mortar, you know, it just, like Jimmy said, it depends on what you want, your personality type, what you yeah. hope to deliver. Um, Let's hit one more because I actually, I love these topics that strike a nerve and this one kind of struck a nerve. So I had been saying, you don't have to quit your day job. In okay. fact, I don't even think you should quit your day job. If you want to start a private practice, if you want to start a real business, you should remain a 40 hour week therapist, getting a W2, getting a guaranteed salary, having benefits and coverage. Mm -hmm and start your business in that position. And the reason why I say that is because we know a lot of people that are in their 40s, 50s, they have families, they have kids, maybe they're primary breadwinners, head of household. They don't have the freedom like I did when I was in my 20s living in the basement to risk everything and start a practice. They also probably don't have the cash reserves to take three to six months with no salary, no income, and then probably another three to six months of pushing all of the profits back into the business. And what I would say is I love the idea of intentional constraints so that if I'm working 40 hours a week, you're right. I don't have a lot of free time. But what that does is it forces me to build a business model that isn't dependent on me. It doesn't require me to do every treatment. It doesn't require me to bill every service. So I have to hire a therapist. Yeah. Now people are like, well, how can you afford to hire a therapist? Well, we live in a day and age where literally if I get a patient referral, let's say Dave is going to be the therapist, even if he's not working for me, he's an independent contractor. He's got his own business. I don't even care. I'm just trying to prove a model. What I would do if I was in Brooklyn, in Dave's area, I would start my own business. I'd start marketing. I'd start communicating. I get my first referral. I would connect that referral with Dave. Even if I had to pay Dave and we were going to go through insurance, I'm only talking about a two to three week carry time where I had to pay Dave a week or two after the service was delivered. Another week or two, I'm going to get payment anyway. And I'm just going as needed. As I build that, I would continue to hire Dave. I would continue to get him to deliver the services for my clients. I would figure out how the scheduling is going to work, all the patient care experience stuff. And I would say that could be scaled even while I'm having a 40-hour week job. Once I hit 100000 in revenue, see you, Dave. I'm ready to step in. I'm going to come in. I'm going to start working in the business. 
If I can, I would talk Dave into staying on with me or I'd hire a replacement for Dave that's more affordable. But the idea is I've got proof of concept now. Now I'm not scared. Now I'm not nervous. I'm not anxious. I'm already generating a hundred thousand a year. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what I would do. You know, what do you guys think? It's, it's genius. And I loved everything you said until you said you would let that therapist go. I know I shouldn't have said that because really that defeats the purpose. You're totally <laughs> right. I love, I love the idea. And, and I don't know why more therapists or any, any business owner, anyone doesn't do this because you can stay at your corporate job, your full-time job, you keep the benefits, you keep your PTO, your vacation days, all that, whatever. Um, starting a business, starting a practice. This is where I think mobile would be even easier because then you don't have the, <clears throat> you don't have the overhead of the brick and mortar. This is, that might even be better. Um, I think the practice owner or the people out there thinking, uh, considering this would be, uh, probably asking Tony something around the lines of like, like quality assurance. Like how do you, how do you ensure like the day-to-day, -day, um, like the therapist that you're hiring is actually delivering the service and there's all this stuff going on and they're there more often, more hours per day than you. Cause you're still at that full-time job. I love the idea though, because you keep all your benefits, you keep that full-time job, you keep all the, all that income that covers all your cost of living. And then therefore, like Tony said, this practice that you're starting on the side, uh, it doesn't really require much money and, and some effort on the marketing side, but it doesn't require a lot of money. And even if it fails or if there's some challenges in getting it off the ground, it's it's okay because you still have that full-time job with the benefits. Yeah, I talk to students a lot. I don't know if I've said this on uh, a stream with you guys, but hips and shoulders, right? Because students are coming out and they're like, they hear from people like Dave, they hear from people like Tony, like, which one's right for me? And I put it in perspective of anatomy where I was like hips and shoulders. They're both ball and socket joints, but one is really, really mobile with some stability. And one, one is really, really, really stable with some flexibility. No reason you can't stand on a hip at a full-time job with a 401k and PTO and all those benefits while you on the side launch a shoulder. And then eventually you can do handstands because the shoulder is proven that it can stand on itself. So I'd say do neither, do both. I, I think... I think pre-internet, which is hard to wrap our head around because a lot of people listening are like, what's that? There were dinosaurs pre-internet. -pre you had to be sitting somewhere or ready to answer a phone or in an office to start another business. So you had to, uh, you had to monkey bar it, which is you had to let go of the stable thing and to swing forward. You don't have to do that because you're listening to us right now somewhere far away after we recorded this. Um, and that just really wasn't possible. It wasn't easy to do. And now it sort of is. So if you provide something, how you want to provide that is up to you and how that person wants to receive or consume that is sort of up to them. And that's where you get to meet in the middle with these, uh, this interwebs thing. And I think the biggest thing, you know, what I got from a negative feedback perspective was from therapists who had very successful businesses right now. And they said, I couldn't keep a job. I had to go full time, all in. That's but they're still the treating therapist, which is awesome. I still treat patients myself, but I don't want that to be my full time job, my primary responsibility, in addition to owning and running the business. Mm -hmm. I want to have the business that takes care of people. And then I can step in when I want, how I want. Um, so I think therapists are very threatened by that. I think therapists think globally. That they're like, well, I have a unique perspective. I am the one that should be doing it. I am the professional. I can't treat 40 hours a week and then go treat another 30 on my own. So it, you look at what it is that you want, but most of them will say, 
I want freedom, time freedom. I want financial freedom. I want these things. Well, you can't do that if you're working 40 hours a week in your own business and you're doing all the business operations after hours, like you have the worst world possible. Um, the other thing that they say is, well, you know, if you keep your full-time 40 hour a week job, you're making less money. If you were treating the patients in your business, you're going to make more kind of true, but you're going to take that time in the beginning with no income, no salary. No I would rather make half of what I would be making working for somebody else, plus the insurance and the other intangibles. Um, then trying to stress out coming home every night, looking at my wife, looking at my kids and thinking, I don't know how much more money I have in the bank, yeah. you know, finally, last point, what do you guys think? And I'm asking you this, looking for an answer. What do you think is the biggest single challenge? There's lots of challenges. What's the biggest single challenge, a great clinician who goes into business for him or herself. What is the number one biggest challenge they have going into that business? I know the answer. I'll give mine if Dave's not ready. Go ahead. Psychology. Right? Yeah. They, they think that they're a great clinician, therefore they're a great business owner. And I would say, I would say that's not necessarily true. These are two different jobs. These are two different roles. True. Um, so I think I think it works for you and against you. So you're a great clinician and you're like, well, I can't, I'm not a business owner. And I'm like, well, you are as soon as you own a business and you can get better at that. It's a skill. And then the flip side is overconfidence. So underconfidence or overconfidence. Under uh, overconfidence is like I'm the greatest clinician ever. How hard can this business thing be? And I'm like, you will get hit by a bus. So I think <laughs> it's like in the face. Yeah, I think you are the limit. You are the biggest limiting factor in that. Dave, uh, I would. It's say super simple, guys. You you know it. Execution, like you either like the chops to actually make it happen. What I'm going to say marketing. I'm going to say getting those patients. Like every I single love marketing, but anyway, <laughs> every single therapist I talk to, they're like, My "I'm struggling. Thing. I need more patients." They're amazing therapists. They've got tons of experience, tons of knowledge. What they don't know is how to communicate and how to get those patients into their ecosystem. And so, if you're still working 40 hours a week, you can focus and build the skills of client acquisition of getting those patients. You know the delivery you know you can deliver the service what you don't know is how to get those people to say i want you i want your business i want your solution to my problem yeah. and so that's where i think you can experiment and you can learn and you can do those things on someone else's dime you could right look if you work at a su successful practice ask those questions i mean hey i'm curious how do you where did you start because it looks really simple because you as a clinician see the patient when they walk in the door getting them to the door is simple but not easy it's how are you doing that over and over again so that's I, it with stability so i found it interesting that you know so much of the stuff that i publish gets great feedback every now and then though i hit a nerve and i get some kind of frustrated responses and that was one don't leave your day job when you start your new business that was one that generated some frustrated responses yeah yeah, I mean, but, but this conversation five, six years ago when I was in PT school or seven or eight years ago when I was in PT school was new grads should never travel or go on your own for the first five or 10 years. Right. Like, that's insane. And I think the more they heard that, the more students said, well, that I hold my beer. I'm going to go do this thing. And those people have thriving practices now that are great clinicians because that was also the rub. 
you don't know you don't know everything you need to know about being a great cl great clinician um no one does and being around other people doesn't mean doesn't guarantee that you're going to be become a better clinician and the other thing was you don't have any business experience and i was like well the only way to get business experience well not the only way you can work you can work with someone else but jump in and now you are invested you will pay attention when it's your money and your livelihood on the line you are you are fully awake when that happens Really quick uh, yeah. refresher, Marketing 101. Tony was just talking about marketing. It's time or effort, folks. So a great example on Instagram. Go to Fit Club. This is a colleague of mine. I, I don't get anything out of this. Uh, Fit Club NY. So Kellen yeah. Scalberry is a physical therapist. They have like three locations here in New York City. If you go on his personal Instagram and or the clinic's Instagram, he is taking his portable table, his portable treatment table everywhere into pickleball courts, tennis courts, um, different basketball courts all over the city. They do uh, partnerships with like Fleet Feet and all the you know running shoe stores, whatever. He is like the ultimate hustler. It takes money or time, right? So I spend a ton of money on Google ads and then therefore I can kick back. I can hang out with Tony and Jimmy and I don't have to go, you know, uh, you know, meet with physicians or go and do those fleet fee things and bring my portable table to the pickleball court. Right. So I could do that. It's, it's, it's time or effort with marketing. So if you are posting these things online and, and Tony sees them and you're complaining about, or, or you have a challenge with getting more new patients, you're either, if, and if you don't have the budget for paid ads, you have to just get off your butt and you have to get in front of more people in your community. Where do all those people hang out? Coffee shops, pickleball, basketball courts, gyms, Starbucks, library, literally anywhere. That's why chiropractors are better at marketing because they'll put up their table in front of like an Acme or a grocery store with a spine model. And they will talk to every single person that walks in or out. Maybe you don't want to do that directly. Maybe you don't like that. You think that's a little... Um, I don't know, a little too forward, but like, you just have to meet more people. It's really not that hard. Um, that's what, uh, that's what they said in, uh, the little mermaid. I want to be where the people are and the people are in person, but the people also are digital. So be where the people are hanging a spine model or talking about their problems and your solution, where the people are, you decide what that is for you. You want to sweat and hustle around with a table. You can do that. That's what I, to go full circle, that's what I said I did at CSM in years past. I ran around with a microphone, like a chicken with my head cut off. And when I was done, I was spent, but I had all the interviews and I, I overserved my guests. And then I said, I'm going to stand still and I'm going to set up a studio at CSM and have them come to me. And no one said no. I figured if I wasn't so flexible, they'd be like, well, I can't. No one said no. Everyone showed up. I gave them the booth number. For ATI, I gave them the, the the time on their calendar, and they all showed up on time and were pleasant. So, and, I and it's assumed. because you didn't even have to pay anything for the booth. Correct, because I said, "Hey, ATI, would you like a stream of people?" And now every photo that's taken of me and that I share in the videos is going to have ATI in the background. I'm going to say, "Hey, thanks, ATI. We're at we're at your your booth here at, uh, at CSM." I do agree with Tony though the live element, and I already said this with a buddy of mine. I'm like, "How do I do this live?" Because I want that in the moment at CSM, so you know where I am, right? I want to I want to capture as much of that sixteen thousand in person traffic at the exact same time, never having to wait. Because I haven't released an episode from there yet, and it happened a week ago today. They would have already been out yet, and I could have done a lot of things with those things. I know we're getting close to the top of the hour, but I wanted to follow up on go where the people are. Yeah. Um, you know, something that's interesting about that. And I think about this every single day. So I, I try to work out, I try to run, I try to do something every day. When I do, I listen to podcasts, mostly business podcasts. 
Um, and I think about the people I put in my ear. I listen to, you know, my first million. I listen to a bunch of startups and, and innovators. And I'm like, they, they speak a language. They say certain things. They share ideas. It's a common language. It's a culture. That's really what it is. It's a culture among, among these successful founders and business owners. And I think about how that has influenced and impacted me as a business owner. And it completely pulled me out of that scarcity mindset, completely pulled me out of that, you know, I don't know, it's charging too much. I don't know if anybody's going to do it. Um, I think putting yourself in those communities, joining those cultures, if you resonate with them, if it makes sense to you, if you like what they say and they're saying the same thing that you're thinking, getting access to those communities can just be so powerful for somebody who's struggling right now who's like, I don't know, everybody in my family. I share the story all the time. My wife says every business idea I have ever had is the stupidest idea she's ever heard. <laughs> I shared on LinkedIn. I said, imagine, and I can't even pronounce his name, so I'm not going to try, the founder of Ikea. Imagine him when he told his wife, told his brother, told his sister, he's like, hey, I'm going to start the biggest, one of the biggest furniture stores in the world, but I'm not going to let anybody buy the furniture that's already built and made. I'm going to make them wander through my store for 90 minutes. Walk one I'm, way. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to wear them out. They're going to get lost. They have no idea. And then when they get to the end, they're going to pull boxes. They're going to have to drive it home, hanging out of their car. And then they're going to have to build it themselves. That That's the idea. Like nobody in the world would like tell him that's a great idea. Um, and so many of these Uber and Airbnb, yeah, we're going to have some weirdos sleep on the couch and we're going to charge them 50 bucks. Yeah. Nobody would ever think these are great ideas. So but you, you get around the right people, you get the right information. It's, it's life changing. You also have to have some success before people join in. I mean, there's like a famous like, you know, line or, 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 or internet meme that goes around is like when they see your idea at first, they sort of mock you. And then you have a little bit of success and they sort of still question you. And when you've made it, it's when they're like, I believe in you all along. They can't see it. It's not their fault. They can't see it. Even, and you explaining it is telling them about them. You have to show them. And that's what show versus tell is. And this is a nod to my noon live stream that I'm giving today where I'm pulling my best Taylor Swift impression. You had to pay and go to CSM to hear me speak last week on science communication. It's actually just communication. You can use it for business too. But I'm focused, I focused on research. That barrier, I'm going to remove it because I'm going to put it on YouTube live and you can ask, ask questions and then you can watch it later. So I have to show people. But if I, I mean, I pitched my podcast to classmates while I was in PT school when I launched it and they all said, just study, man. That's that's no one's gonna listen to that. And I didn't care if they listened. I just wanted to do it. And I think the guy who designed IKEA just wanted to do it. And he was like, I'll find the people later. So that's sort of throws it in the face of that business plan we talked about earlier, which is like you sort of have to leap, then look. Not yeah. look. Leap. So Jimmy's got a live stream at noon. Yeah. Dave, tease what you recorded yesterday and let us know when you think it might be coming out. Uh, yes, I came across a practice. I won't say the name. I won't say where. Um, uh, they treat uh, chronic pain and neurological conditions. And PT, it's kind of like physical therapy, chiropractic, some type, you know, like some type of multidisciplinary approach. They charge about $40,000 for 
14 weeks of treatment. You basically go there and you get like multiple hours a day. It might even be like, I don't know, like five to eight hours. And, and maybe they, I don't know, I got to look into like, do they cover food and sleep and nutrition and all that? But they treat a lot of these neurological conditions. They have really effective, I think, really good Facebook video testimonials. Um, and it's so expensive that I wanted to cover it on my show. It's probably going to be coming out, I don't know, in the next couple of weeks, this week or next week, um, because it is going to be polarizing. It's going to be some people saying, I can't believe these patients are paying that and getting ripped off or whatever. And then also, um, I just want to show like, not necessarily what's possible, but like, it is a little wild that like they, they help their potential patients do GoFundMes and raise money for this. Um, <clears throat> but other, like I've seen some of the testimonials and it's like, these families, these patients, they say that they failed other conservative treatments and they've gone to um, a million doctors and all this other stuff. And so, I don't know, um, it, it's it's going to be interesting. So you can check it out on the Dave Kittle show in the next couple of weeks. I'm interested. And so when Dave told me about that, he caught me at a moment in the day when I was pretty salty and <laughs> so, so foul in what I said about it. But the funny thing is now when you when I hear you explain that, I'm like, oh man, that is awesome. I totally want to know about that. So I, I am looking forward to hearing about that. I think those kinds of things actually are great. It's just, I see so much stuff on social media, so much magic, you know, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. It's just claims are outlandish. Everything is absurd. There is no research to support any of it, but maybe the research will come out in 17 years. Like Jimmy tells us. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get paid what you're worth. You get paid what people think you're worth. True. It's all gets, right? It's all gets. All right. Parting shots. How do you guys want to wrap up? Dave, what do you got? Parting shot. What do you want to leave with people? Uh, we, I want to go back to the mobile first brick and mortar. Um, I, I, I agree. I think brick and mortar is probably better. However, the thing that Tony was saying about consuming all this different content, learning from different folks, you can watch PT Pinecast. You can watch, uh, Tony Meritado's, uh, learn Medicare billing or, uh, not course YouTube yeah. channel. You can learn, you can listen to and learn so much stuff. So much. If you're a mobile therapist. You can learn more per day between patients. We're actually mm. reinvesting more back into your knowledge and your expertise, and you're building some of those new channels, those new new ideas, and what's possible. You can do that more so if you're a mobile therapist between patients versus your brick and mortar. So I'll leave it at that. You can also yeah. listen to Metallica or something. You can also listen to music. And, and I would say, don't quit your day job. Get started. Get that first dollar in your bank account. Like, but you don't have to put everything on the line. It's not so much about how much upside potential there is. It's about managing the risk of the downside loss. Of that, yeah. Uh, pay attention to how you're doing what you're doing. Uh, I know everybody wants to make more money, but if you reduce costs, you make more money. So I, I paid attention to that in the last six to eight months. I didn't run around and spend uh, energy on running around CSM. I found a way to leverage what I had. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't necessarily make more money, but I spent a lot less in doing what I wanted to do. So you can do that. So I know we talk about increasing revenue. You can do that by minimizing costs. Uh, gentlemen, thanks so much for the insight. And we'll do it again. Same bat channel, same uh, bat uh, time next week. Sounds good.